Learn the most advanced recruiting techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with Rick Gerard. The anatomy of a recruiting call. So people do not respond to you because you are sending the wrong message. What do you say that's triggering a person's fight or flight response? We're going to find out today. Today's quote, human behavior flows from three main sources, desire, emotion, and knowledge. Any idea who said that, Mr. Lennon Crow? Well, just because you prompted me, I think it's Plato. <laughs> man, you're the second guest this month that has said that I prompted you. So, oh, man, you guys are killing me. <laughs> well, you got to tell us not to. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm not going to look like a fool here. <laughs> no, I wanted you to look good. All right. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. Our mission is to provide proven tactical solutions to solve your company's most difficult hiring challenges. We share insights from top performing entrepreneurs and industry experts like our guest today, Mr. Lyndon Crow, who's the president of Productive Learning. As a workshop facilitator and trainer, Lyndon has helped over 2,500 clients achieve higher levels of emotional awareness, self-mastery, and personal fulfillment. Lyndon is known for his provocative, straightforward, and compassionate communication style and his keen ability to forecast potential outcomes. This helps his clients make better educated decisions about their current directions and opportunities for growth, which is what makes Lyndon an outstanding expert on today's topic. Lyndon, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate it. So we're going to cover a few things. We're going to talk about what happens in the brain. So I'm going to have you kind of share your expertise when somebody's trying to recruit you. We're going to talk about what triggers fight or flight syndrome or response. And then we're going to teach some uh, techniques to approach a conversation to avoid triggering negative responses. So I call you for a new job. Lyndon, I know you're not looking, but what happens in your brain when I call you? Sure. So you've got to think about it from the standpoint outside of a job and just think about what the brain is doing. The brain has a natural tendency and it is built for survival. It has done that for millennia, right? For hundreds of thousands of years. So what our brain does in order to maintain and make sure that it survives is it seeks state of familiarity. If it's done it before, that thinks it can do it again. So that's good. So you got to imagine if somebody's calling you out of the blue and telling you to change what you do from nine to five, Monday through Friday, the immediate response to the brain at a primal survival instinct is that is change. That is bad. I don't want to do that. You can almost take that back to when they think that you're a recruiter, right? They automatically go into whatever their canned responses would be or whatever reaction they would normally have based on their experience that they've had with anybody who's been a recruiter or tried to recruit them. Exactly. It's just a fact of if you change the environment that the brain is in, whether it's changing where you move, where you live, who you're with, who you work for, whatever that is. That at a primal level is a flag. It's an indicator. It's, it's a way for the mind to say, hey, be more alert because we don't know what's going to happen next. And it doesn't even matter if, if what it is being offered is something good. It's still part of the natural instinct of the brain to want to question it or be suspicious of it. Because if you think about it, it just doesn't know what that is. And if you don't know something at a primal level, 
the brain wants to pull away and go back to what it's familiar with. So you got to imagine calling you up, having somebody you don't know, giving you something that you have never heard of or you don't know anything about. That just is what happens with the brain. So if you're a recruiter and trying to get through to the person out uh, without triggering that, you've got to look at tendencies that help you speak to that, calm that down, while then giving the offer of, hey, your life is going to change. So if you're a recruiter, then you're in essence a saber-toothed tiger who's about to attack them. Bingo. Bingo. You got it. <laughs> you got it. That leads into, into what? Okay, so that's what triggers a fight or flight defense, correct? Correct. What else is happening? Let's say I catch somebody and they're, they're willing to talk to me, or maybe they're actively looking for a job. This can be a lot of different things, and you, we could look at it from... Uh, a lot of people have heard of the idea of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Sure. Um, and they talk about our, our needs starting at just the physiological level, meaning I need air, I need sleep, I need clothes, I need food. And then moving up to that is my personal security and safety. Moving up from that is loving and belonging, feeling like I'm connected to people, to things, to my environment around me. Moving up from there is my personal sense of self-esteem. My, I feel respected. I feel strong. And then you get up to self-actualization, which would be the pinnacle of that. So you've got to think... Who are you talking to when you are recruiting somebody? And what is the purpose for that call? Are you moving them from a place of safety where they're not sure that they have enough money or they, have, they live in a good area? Well, then speaking to that in your phone call of how you're recruiting would satiate or calm that mind down. But if you're talking to an executive level, well, they probably already got their, obviously, they got their physiological needs taken care of. They've got their safety needs taken care of. They're having enough money. They have employment. They have well, well we're making health. a bunch of assumptions here, though, because we don't know what needs they have taken care of, right? That's the thing. When you're making True. that phone call, you're basically kind of fishing to find out if you can figure out what those pain points are. Well, Real good point. Really, we're looking at choices that people make, whether or not they're going to talk to you have to benefit them in some sort of way. They have to make them feel comfortable. They have to do something. We have, have to tickle that pleasure zone more more than the fear zone, right? Yeah, correct. Because you got to think, there. The, if what you're proposing to them is change, there's already a part of their mind that is opposed to that. So there's the fear. So now we have to create an environment with the person, meaning the, the phone call, the tone of the phone, the rapport you build, that would have them feel that this is safe and this is okay. Sure. You, you can also do that by giving them a sense of authority, of autonomy, that they, they are in some way controlling this process. Because if you think about it, when you are out of control, how do you feel, Rick? When I'm out of control? Yeah. If you don't have I feel alive when I'm out of control. <laughs> yeah, right. Try again. When you when you don't have control of anything, when you feel out of control, it's a freaky uh, place to oh, be. Oh yeah, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Some people either shut down and they just pull in. Some people fight it, fight against it, and then they want to become the aggressor of the world. And those are two different ways to re-seek a sense or self a sense of control. I think I might be so, a little different though, because I am a tad bit of an adrenaline junkie. So I like that not being in control thing a bit. Which is great. So yeah. that's fantastic. And that's also part of what you do. You have a sense of control over, I know what's going to go get me 
my high. I know it's going to go get me my fix, and I'm going to go do that. So you, you, <laughs> you made me sound like have... a junkie. <laughs> well, you just said well I guess I am, huh? <laughs> Insert foot in mouth. Yeah, right, right. So you got to think, if that's if they're at a primal level nervous that they're creating change, how can I give them a sense of control, a sense of autonomy, a sense of authority in this conversation? And that's with the tones and the words that you use. Hey, by the way, if this is a bad time, what would be a good time for you? How could we make this convenient for you? Because I just want to make sure that this is helpful for you. All of a sudden it's saying, hey, you're in control of this conversation as well. This isn't me forcing my agenda on you. Because if that's if that's the rapport or the tone, now you are creating change, an environment that's changed. That's not good. You're also taking control of the situation so that they then feel out of control. That's not good. So at that point, do you think... Well, you hit the nail on the head here. I mean, by forcing your agenda on somebody, anybody, that triggers a fight or flight response. Right. Correct. Which is, which is to... going to immediately get somebody to tune out. Exactly. So how can you become something that's safe? And safe meaning familiar, safe meaning it fulfills something for them. And then you can go back to what we were talking about on the, on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Oh, well, let me understand where you are in your life and what is going on and what are the goals and desires that you have. And if you can start to understand that and have your, you position yourself as, I am here to help you do what you want to do what you want in life, you meaning the, the, the person that we're trying to recruit. If you give them that sense of control and then you're also helping them fulfill that for themselves, the brain is saying, you are safe, you are familiar, and you're also helping me go, if you will, move up that hierarchy of needs. You're helping me satiate the things that I'm not yet quenched on in my life. And that I just totally had a flashback to college and my psychology class. And <laughs> so <laughs> thanks for that trip down memory lane. I'm a recruiter or here's the thing. I could be a hiring manager or a CEO of company. I'm reaching out to candidates or somebody that I've identified that I want to bring on to my company. Mm -hmm. What I really need to do is I need to create a low stress situation for that person so they get to know me a bit better. But also it's not a sales pitch come to work for my company because we're so great scenario, which is what 99% of people do when they contact somebody that they don't know. Mm -hmm. you're bingo, you're spot on. You're spot on. We're creating a, a, a positive environment where they feel like they're more in control and it's not about me selling. Correct. You are Think of it that you are providing for them. And if you can keep that dynamic between you and the person you're recruiting, then you are easing their mind through the entire process. And then you get into the content of, yes, here's the roles and responsibilities and the compensation and blah, blah, blah. But if you keep that kind of dynamic, then you're not fighting against natural instincts that people have. And th at that point, you are, if you do that, you're fighting an uphill battle. And so many of us fight these natural instincts on a daily basis, and we're not smart enough to get past it. It's scary. All right, right. If you're just joining us on the live stream or the podcast, you're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard. And today, our guest is Lyndon Crow, the president of Productive Learning. So this is a good lead-in because Really, what we're talking about is how we position it. You're positioning it from a perspective of it's an equal playing field and you're making it about them. 
when you make a call or you're trying to recruit somebody, it's not about you. The person you're trying to recruit has their own problems that they're trying to solve. And if you're trying to sell them on solving your problems without learning about what their problems are, then you put yourself in a position where you're just a salesman, Mm -hmm. a used car salesman. And I say that lightly because my dad was a used car salesman. (laughs) (laughs) So positioning wise, you have to make it not about you. The whole process, even though you do need to fill a job and you need to build your workforce, is that when you reach out to somebody, make it about that person. Right. Yeah. And this is, I think, the part of what makes a, a fantastic salesperson and just a mediocre salesperson. It's the difference between the mediocre and the fantastic. If you can, when you're a fantastic salesperson, it's all about the person you're standing in front of. Yet you, in the back of your mind, know that you have certain numbers you want to hit for your quotas, for your commissions, for your whatever it is that'll fulfill you. So you're you're quite technically holding two seemingly opposing truths at the same time. How yeah, but you know, great you salespeople all about me. Yeah, but great salespeople don't tend to focus so much on the numbers as much as they focus in on solving the problems. They're great problem solvers. And the way in which they solve the problems is they listen. That's a beautiful example. They're problem solvers. Who are they solving the problem for? Not themselves. Nope. Not at solving all. the problem for the person they're talking in front of. So is that person, I mean, if we go back to recruiting, is that person needing to move from 100000 to $150,000 job because their life is where they are and they need more for their kids and family or whatnot? Or the money is not that big of an issue. They have what they need. What they want, though, is a sense of respect, a sense of authority. Oh, they want to be known. They want to have the title of VP, not the title of you know, manager or something. That's not always the case though. That's not always the case. I mean, I find that a lot of people, they have something that's missing in their career. Like maybe they have the inability to grow and it's not necessarily title, but it could be responsibility. It could be, you know, the ability to make an impact in the organization, which in a large company, your ability to make an impact is minute because you're working on one small little piece of something. But if you're in a smaller company, like a startup, your ability to make an impact is so much greater. Mm -hmm. Um, Career growth is one thing. The challenge of the work, a lot of people get caught up in the mundane routine of whatever their work is, and they end up getting bored of it. Mm -hmm. And then of course, bad leadership. Those are the top three that I find. It's not necessarily that they have bad leadership. It's just that they're not a fit maybe for the organization or leadership has changed or things change. Right. Right. So I think those are great examples of needing to find out if you want to call it the problem that they're dealing with or the desire that they want to go and have. It's it's the same coin. It's just the flip side. And if you're looking for that and you can seek that by while also building a sense of safety and rapport so that, hey, I'm a good guy. I'm going to be what's familiar to you. I'm not the saber-toothed tiger coming in and swooping in. If you can find out what that desire or that problem is, along with building that rapport, all of a sudden you have somebody that you are working with, you're a partner with. You're saying, got it. You and I are trying to figure out your career. We are in this together. And you got to imagine if you have that versus a used car salesperson, don't you think you're going to have such better uh, oh, absolutely. and productivity and, and movement in, the, in your 
process. So think about it as being the guy who sells the club to protect you from the saber-toothed tiger, right? Beautiful. It's a better analogy that, you know, I mean, you're solving a problem, you're helping keep somebody safe. Now, you said authority, right? I find that, and I think we had a conversation earlier, you're talking about Daniel Pink's drive. I find that money is not a main motivator for a lot of people. It's usually secondary or tertiary, like when you get to the point where where you're at an offer. But when mm-hmm. when these other more deep-rooted things are there and you can heal those, and those are what I call a career wound. Mm-hmm you have a situation where the money becomes the aftermath as opposed to the, the main reason why somebody's a layman. Yeah. Unless, of course, yeah, they're grossly underpaid. Exactly. So I, I'm glad you brought back uh, Daniel Pink's drive. I think any recruiter, I think most anybody that's in should just read that book. It's a fascinating book on, it is. on something so simple of how the mind works and what goes on in people's lives. And part of its main concept was once you hit a certain number, the uh, financial number, and I can't remember off the top of my head, but it is something like was it like seventy k or something? Yeah, yeah seventy seventy five thousand. Once you hit that, incentivizing beyond that, using money, your rate of return on their motivation to go and produce drops dramatically. Hmm. Because if you think about it, if you go back to the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, with seventy five thousand, you have your physiological needs and you have your safety needs totally taken care of. <laughs> not in Newport not... Beach. <laughs> well, that's true. See, that's what it, it's a variable number. If right. you go to Newport yeah. Beach, it better be 150 as the bear. Or the minimum. bear, yeah, but no if, way. If you go to the suburbs, uh, you know, out in the middle of LA or something, uh, or, or San Bernardino, where it's just less expensive of living conditions, then the number changes. So it is definitely contingent on or contextual to where you're living in the environment. But what it, what you can see is, with 75000 it hits your physiological, it hits your safety needs. So money is not going to help you create love or belonging. Money's not going to help you as much, I should say, create a sense of self-esteem or self-actualization. You need something else to fulfill those wants or desires or needs. That comes with the environment of the job. What's the culture of that of that place? What are the leaders like? What are the other employees like? What is it that you're actually producing or doing? Does that give you a sense of love and belonging? Do you get a sense of esteem there? That's what actually, once you pass that about, you know, as Daniel Pink was saying, 70, 75,000, again, contextual to the environment. Once you pass that, it's not so much about the money. It's about what other intrinsic or intangible things will give me a sense of fulfillment. And if you can't find that, then again, why All right, so then want to change? So then we're talking about positioning, right? And in order for you to position something correctly, you really need to listen. And so asking the right questions, I found a truth in, in my work that I live by now. The more I talk, the less somebody trusts me. The more they talk, the more they trust me. The more I listen, the more they trust me. So all I have to do really is get to asking the right questions to get somebody to open up in such a way where I am actually, and I care about where they are in their career and where they're looking to go. And if I listen and I just stop trying to fish, what's important to me is not important to them. Mm -hmm. I might tickle something, but people will tell you exactly what you need to know 
in order for you to bring somebody down a path. Yep. If you think of the recruiting process the proper way, you should be leading people down a path. And if at some point the path forks off in a different direction, let them go. Right. Help them to go right. the right way down their path. Because it doesn't right. benefit anybody, you or that person, if you just try and fit them into a job to fill your needs. Yeah. To go back to just the way that the brain is wired up, this is just as in, we are animals at our base and at our core. And you got to think when Reptiles. we come out of the, when we come out of the womb, we are so self-centered and egocentric because you literally, literally think I cannot, when I'm a baby, I cannot take care of myself. I cannot give myself food. I cannot give myself shelter. I cannot give myself warmth. And the world actually is just coming to me. I cry. Somebody comes. I poops. Somebody comes. <laughs> if I want food, somebody comes. Everything is coming. To Nobody me. comes to me now and, when I poop. <laughs> well, you know, that's the problem with society right now. Right. Just figure out how to get around Rick's you know, Rick Bowman, <laughs> boy, oh boy, we would really figure life out. Oh, God. But you got to think. So we are wired that way. Then as we grow up, it starts to shift. It starts to shift moving away from us. But we still have that natural instinct to take care of ourselves first. Think about that in regards to, does the person you're recruiting give a shit about the name of your company or what position it is or where they're going to go? No, but they do care about themselves. That is 100% on point. Having people, and having you need people to talk about that way. Yeah, having people get and talk about themselves, that's a natural instinct because I'm interested in me. I'm interested in my survival and my belonging and my fulfillment. I'm interested in what gives me the sense of authority and all of these things. So if I can ask the questions to pull that out of you, all of a sudden, I'm just using people's natural instinct of wanting to know, to help themselves and move forward. So I got to pull all of that information out. And the only way to do that, just as you said, is I just got to shut up. There you go. Them, and I at that point, my friend, shut up. we are just about out of time. So I'm going to ask you to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for your time investment today, Lyndon. And I want to welcome you once again to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, I'm sure that um, you guys run some great programs, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners would like to find out about them. How do they reach you? Uh, they can go to our website, www.productivelearning.com, and or they can email me directly at Lyndon A. And, at Productive Learning. And that's L-I-N-D-O-N. And there will be a link on the uh, on the website for everybody. Yep. All can. right. I want to thank our listening audience for tuning into this week's episode of Higher Power. A quick thanks to our team, our engineer, Paul Roberts. Creative Director Ayla Gerard, our producers Andrea Ballin and Shanti Ryle. If you're listening to the podcast, please rate, subscribe, and review. We need your input to bring more valuable content to you. You can uh, check us out on all the various platforms. We're on iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and YouTube. Or you can follow me on Instagram at rickgerard one Tune in next week. Our guest will be William Tincup. William is the president of RecruitingDaily.com. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power with Rick Gerard on OC Talk Radio.